0: Welcome to Star Wars, Age of Rebellion. This is an RPG Storytime presentation of a campaign played over several years utilizing all three Star Wars role-playing books by Fantasy Flight Games. This is a grand campaign where everything you hear was decided by players in an epic scale role-playing and strategy game, then turned into this production that tells the story one chapter at a time with occasional explanations of game mechanics. The episodes are shorter than most gaming podcasts because each session is summarized in the form of a story much like an audiobook. It begins with a small band of agents played by a few role players. As the Rebel cell grows, more players are brought in to take on the roles of other operatives heading out on other missions and taking part in various battles. Every choice affects the direction of the story, both for the characters on the mission and for the overall story arc. And the ultimate fate of the Juvex and Senex sectors is up to them. I-Lama took Dentra to the finest restaurant he'd ever been to at the top of one of the skyscrapers. Yet no one was seated at their tables. Everyone was mingling around the snack bars, balconies, on the ballroom floor, at a communal table, and over the glass enclosures to the giant shark tank. It was a gaggle of attachés, envoys, agents, cabinet members, negotiators, mediators, and the occasional diplomat. All the former titles fed to the latter, who made final decisions at the council. But Dintra could tell that the dignitaries took advice from their underlings if enough of them were convinced of something. He was presently being introduced to Kaisava Pazrap, lead diplomat of House Hacks. She seemed to indifferently shake his hand, but he took it and kissed it, then told her how brilliant he found her speech. It was, in fact, some of the most important words I'd wager this body of governments have ever heard. Kaisava smiled politely but partly rolled her eyes, and began to change the subject. But Dintra held the initiative and added to what she had been saying. Ilama was at first disturbed, but Master Dintra's adept use of words was invigorating. She studied Kaisava's face and saw it was loosening, becoming curious, open to a new point of view, something Ilama had not seen in her before. It seemed Ilama's new apprentice was a prodigy. He completed his thoughts and asked her questions though Lama could tell that they were leading questions. He had her answering the way he wanted her to, whether she knew it or not. And what was more impressive, he had her giving an argument in favor of the rebellion without her knowing. House Hacks had been anti-rebellion, anti-alliance, anti-republic, as much as they were anti-empire. They didn't want anyone else interfering. But by the end of their conversation, you would think she was ready to go back home and convince their sultan to join the rebellion. She excused herself to go eat her meal, which had arrived at her table, but she added, I look forward to seeing you again, Mr. He took her hand and said, Dentra. He kissed it, then said, Master Dentra. Her forehead rumpled, and she looked oddly at Ilama, who told her it was good to speak with her, and the hack's representative went to her table. Ilama scooted up to Dentra and said, That was cleverly done. I have certain talents, he said. I was born with mystical powers. I bet you were, she said slyly. But be careful. We're being watched by agents of Vandron. Give it a moment, then look over my left shoulder. You'll see a man with a purple tie and a woman in a green gown. They're with Vandron. The man in the white suit pretending not to be with them is Imperial. They've been watching you through your whole disquisition. Densher waited a moment, then glanced in that direction like he was scanning the room. He saw the people she was speaking about, and could tell they were monitoring him. So he looked away. But just as he did, another figure passed between the Vandrons and Imperials, someone familiar. Dentra's face instinctively jolted up to look. Not seeing what he was looking for, he pushed past Ilama and hurried toward his target. But whomever he had seen was gone, and he had blown his cover at pretending not to have seen the House and Imperial agents. Ilama placed her hand on his shoulder and said, come. We should eat our lunch before we have to return. Doubly maneuvered through the lesser-traveled parts of the space station again until he found himself in the path of his contact. Sid was moving some goods to a smuggler's ship. He saw Doubly, who only stared at him enough to show he wanted to talk. So Sid finished his business, then went to sit near him. I'm looking to move some dirt, if you know what I mean, Doubly said. Dirt is cheap. Sid said. Quality mud is costly. I can sling hard enough to change someone's mind. Someone big at house refin. He placed a thousand credits down. It was most of what he had. Knowing that the end game was near, the group was going for broke. Regrettably I have little on Freefin, Sid said. So Doubley began to pull the credits back. But I have some rocky mud on the robber. Doubly pulled his hand away from the credits. A robber would be nice," he said. Sid scooped up the credits with his scaly hand and told Doubly to come by here in exactly one hour. They would do what was called a fly-by handoff. Doubly nodded and strolled off. Aylor checked several restaurants until she found a group of attaches of House McCoon at a place where the customers all scooted up to the grill where the food was made. Aylor made herself up as nice as she could and sat within clear view of some of the guys sure to form. One of them moved up to a chair next to her, and she began flirting with him. She played herself off as new to House Seligen then started asking how he felt about the vote the next day. She began to make fun of the very idea of letting the Empire into their territory. He began to realize that he was being played, and began to leave. That's when Elor grabbed his arm and reached into the Force to try to use the Jedi mind trick on him. She only felt dark energy around herself, but that didn't matter to her. She began to use it anyway. But as she did, she got a strange feeling. The same sensation she had felt on Zaluria when it felt like hundreds of eyes were coming out of a fog, searching for her. It seemed as though the dark energy was like a bright spotlight being shown on her, so she didn't use it. The man grew angry with a strange woman grabbing him and staring into nothing, so he yanked away and started to move as quickly as he could. We know about the scams you've been pulling on other houses, Aylor said suddenly. The man stopped then looked over at her arrogantly. Yeah, I'm sure you do. Eller named some specifics that Doubly had learned from Sid, and as she did, the man's smug smile dropped. She approached him, her voice just low enough that no one could hear, but they would be able to if she raised it just a little. She told him that her people know a lot about their double dealings. So here's what you're gonna do, big boy. You're gonna go back to your people... And you're going to ask them if having the Empire Park in their sector is worth every other house turning on them. Aylor then strode out the front, leaving her tab for the man to pay. Roach waited near the entrance of the building with the corporate bank. He hoped the woman who was close to his size hadn't brought a sack lunch. Others were pouring through the doorway to go to nearby restaurants, and he lingered near an alleyway waiting to catch her face. Reggie was more exposed since it was less conspicuous, and it was reading each face with its enhanced sensors. Reggie whistled when she appeared in the lobby heading toward the door, so Roach headed toward her, squeezing his eyes to get the waterworks going. He was in full helpless child mode, sobbing, breathing heavily, appearing helpless. She asked him if he was okay, and he said that his father was in trouble. There had been an accident around the corner, and he was badly hurt. "'I'll call for help,' she said, reaching for her calm. No! No time! He needs help now! He grabbed her hand and pulled her toward the alley. She tugged back, uncertain she could even help him. We have security in the building! Roach really put on the act now, gasping for breath as he cried, Daddy! He needs help now! Please help him! All right, all right, I'll go look! Just relax! She hurried to the alley, still reaching into her pocket for a communicator. She wasn't qualified to help anyone in need. But the boy was hysterical, so... Rounding the corner, she only saw a wig that looked just like her hair sitting on a dumpster. She turned to see the boy with a blaster out pointed at her. He fired. Blue light of a stun blast hit her and knocked her unconscious. She'll be all right, Reggie. I just stunned her. Don't worry. I have a plan, Roach said, and he began to undress her. Don't worry. I have a plan, Roach said and he began putting the woman's clothes onto himself. Reggie uncomfortably kept watch while Roach finished dressing up as the woman, then put on the wig. How do I look? He asked. I know I don't look like her yet. Hold on. Roach plucked some hair from her head. Reggie was very agitated now, and Roach told it to relax as he pulled out his synth skin. He plugged the hair into a slot to get the DNA sample, Then he pointed the lens toward himself. A 3D projection of the woman's face formed across his face, then remained there after he turned the device off. Roach looked at Reggie and said, Now how do I look? Everyone's a critic. The two walked back toward the building and strolled inside. Back so soon, Stolly? came a voice. Roach almost didn't react, but Reggie bumped him to remind him. What? Uh, Oh, yeah, he said. The security guard leaned forward and looked him over. "There a problem with your voice?" Roach coughed a couple times and said, "Yes, I. <clears throat> yes, a bad cold just came on. I just had to get my droid from the droid shop." The man was staring at her critically. He could tell something was up. "Something has changed about you," he said. Roach shrugged and coughed uncomfortably. Then the guard said. I know what it is. You're wearing a dress. I could have sworn you were wearing a skirt this morning. (laughs) Got me, Roach said. It's how I look when I take off my heels. I was wearing platforms earlier. Oh well, you're the boss, the guard said, and leaned back. I sure am. And as the boss, I would like you to escort me to my office. Well, I can walk you to the elevator, Miss Skystrider, he said. But you're going to need to go to the 15th floor yourself. Fine, I'll just walk myself, he said, striding by. But just before he was passed, he stopped and said, And by the way, I declare every day to be casual Friday. The guard looked at him confused, and Reggie pushed Roach along. The two of them exited the elevator on the 15th floor and began looking around. The offices were labeled with names on them, so they sought out the offices of Staley Skystrider. As Roach had hoped, it was a corner office. He and Reggie slipped inside, closed the door, and made themselves comfortable. roger's feet dangled in the air when he sat in the office chair. He turned on the computer and started hacking his way through it, with as much initial security clearance as he already had in the office. It was not difficult for him to slice through their protocols to gain access to the financial records of all the major houses. He had Reggie plug into the access port and start downloading everything he had opened up. He then went about shifting some money around. He saw that Petro and Van Vandran had recently acquired a lot of money, so he transferred 10,000 credits each from Casido, Petro, and Vandron to a local company in Garjan. He also transferred money from an imperial account to House Araba. It took some time to do as he had to break through imperial firewalls on top of some others, but after some time he was able to pull all of it out and make a transfer that looked suspiciously like the empire and Araba had a secret deal on the side. As he finished up, people were coming back from their lunch breaks, and some of them were looking oddly through the window at him. A few of them looked as though they were whispering among each other, glancing at the closed door every now and then. He asked Reggie if it was done, and Reggie confirmed it was, so Roach closed up what he was doing. He had hacked into their security system, and he saw through the security camera at the front. A woman was walking in through the front door in only her underwear. stoly, The real one. The guard rose to his feet and hurried to her. They were talking, then hurrying to the elevator. Time to go, Reggie. Roach said, then, You might want to wear a hat. He hopped off the chair and hurried to the door where he grabbed a coat. He threw it over Reggie, then jumped back on the chair. He saw in the security feed that the guard and Stolly were in the elevator now on their way up. He sliced through the security systems to the fire protocols and set them off. Sprinkler systems turned on and sirens blew. The elevator stopped where it was and opened its doors to whatever floor it was on. The guard jumped in front of Stolly to shield her from view of those on the floor that had opened up to them. Roach and Reggie hurried out of the room. The others in the cubicles were making their way to the stairs to get out. Roach and Reggie made their way to the freight elevator, which Roach had isolated, and they rode it down to the back. There, they made their escape. But as they did, Reggie whistled that they had passed a couple security cameras. Roach called the others and said that he probably had an urgent need. Yalta responded, asking for his status. Uh, I'm pretty good, Yali, but uh, I think we might have been spotted. I'm moving kind of fast. How are you? That's a problem. Who spotted you? I got this, Doubly said. Tell me your coordinates, termite. I'll come get you. He was already at the long-term parking of the spaceport, and he found a land speeder he was able to hop into. There, he hotwired the vehicle while he listened to Roach say where he was. By the time the kid finished, Doubly had the car running and was on his way. Roach had gotten to a corner, and he spotted police vehicles closing in from two directions. One was Imperial. The other was a local house vehicle. He may be able to run for it, but Reggie would not make it far. He called into his calm. Uh, guys? Stay put, termite. I'm almost there. No sooner had the words emerged from Doubly's mouth than his vehicle flew out of nowhere and zipped up in front of Roach. the guy, Doubly! Roach shouted. Get in, lest you want to sleep in prison for a while. Roach was already tossing Reggie in the back, then hopped in the passenger side. The police vehicles turned on their sirens and took chase. Dudley pushed the limit on the landspeeder. It was someone's sports vehicle, intended for fun drives or street racing, and Doubly used every ounce of its speed and handling. He took a sharp turn and fired a wild volley of shots at the pursuers. They were forced to scatter, and he took the opportunity to race ahead. Just as they began to organize, he took a sharp turn and slowed dramatically. Get out, he shouted, and Roach did as commanded, taking Reggie with him. Doubly got out as well, but set the vehicle to autopilot, and they ran into an alley before the two police speeders came around the corner, joined by more and more police speeders. They had gotten out just in time. Yalto arrived at the Kellerman offices to a sight he had not expected. They were packing up their most sensitive information and leaving. Yalto found an attaché and asked what was going on. She explained that there was an attempt to blow up their offices, and although it failed they knew that it was not the last assassination attempt that would be made. The ambassadors had determined that there were enough troubles at home that they would be more useful there than here, so they were packing everything up and leaving in a hurry. Yalto asked to speak with the head diplomat, but he had already been whisked away, so he asked to speak with one of the other managing ambassadors. One of them provided a little time as he loaded onto a vehicle, Yalto tried desperately to convince him that this was their one opportunity to kick the Empire out so they could not back House Casido. The vote might very well rely on you, Yalto insisted. They'll have to do it without us, the ambassador said, explaining that their government was simply not willing to put their entire diplomatic team in danger. Yalto played his final hand, admitting the real reason they were there. Our plan is to take out the Imperial Tower looming over the city, he said. The ambassador looked out at the looming dark skyscraper surrounded by its impenetrable wall. Then he gave Yalto a piece of information that may be helpful. This city was not first settled by humans, he said. There was an ancient alien race that lived here first. The houses built over their ruins. But where they built over the ruins, they didn't do so directly over the structures. There was a shell over them. Some say you can stand between the outer metallic hulls and the inner stone walls. How do we get to them? Yalto asked as the car started up. The ambassador shrugged, then said, if only there were records as to how the aliens built their cities. And with that, his vehicle took off. Yalto was helpless but to simply watch them leave, driving out of sight toward the spaceport and away from the growing danger of the United Houses. This has been an RPG Storytime presentation of Age of Rebellion, Join us next week to hear what happens next. If you'd like to see a visualization of this episode, check out our YouTube channel. The link is in the description. If you'd like to see other things written by the author of this show, you can also find that in the description. Happy gaming, everybody.